dear audience, this interview is devoted to a very topical and very complex and complicated, nevertheless very important subject, resilience. And we will discuss it together with my colleague Vitalis Rakstic, Head of Crisis Management Department from Latvian Ministry of Defense, and myself. My name is Eva Persinja, and I'm Senior Researcher from Latvian National Defense Academy. Uh, so, Vitalis, uh, let's start with really trying to uh, understand what is this concept, because we indeed use this term so often in so different contexts, but what it exactly means? What is resilience? So, uh, good question, and uh, as, as, as it is uh, with many uh, modern concepts, so at the moment it's buzzword, because everyone uses wording resilience starting from the NATO, uh, European Union uh, with a new st- strategic compass concept. It's also different nations uh, drafting the resilience concept or strategies. And of course, it's, it's sometimes it's a mess with, with different uh, definitions, but more or less, uh, majority of them have, has three main points. So it's resilience, it is ability to uh, prepare uh, and prevent some activities. It is ability to mitigate uh, and uh, to adopt to crisis and uh, to continue to, to, to continue to operate during the some uh, emergency situation, and of course its ability to transform and uh, recover after. And uh, in different uh, wordings, more or less, it is the main purpose. So this ability to uh, be very flexible, uh, to agile to any type of situation, and to be able to operate during this, not not recover after only, but also during operate during the, uh, the any emergency situation, starting from national disaster, technological uh, disaster, or some kind of hybrid warfare, etc. Of course, our main interest is uh, the uh, new risks, new threats like uh, gray zone warfare, hybrid warfare, and uh, military threats. But of course, the majority of nations look at resilience from this perspective of uh, to be ready to uh, all all hazards mainly it's natural disasters touristic attacks uh, technological disasters you know in our, in our case we are looking a little bit broader but but as many nations as many concepts so what determines that the concept of resilience comes into forefront of security discourse at this moment what are main factors that determines yeah that we are speaking about resilience and that it is one of the number one uh, concepts within security debates and documents, etc., etc. I think all these uh, recent uh, uh, disasters or recent problems with security of supply, especially during the COVID, but we also see that um, this problem with Suez Channel or Guangzhou uh, seaport blockade, so it, it has great impact on security supply, and, and we all of us uh, feel it uh, when you're going to a grocery shop and trying to, to buy something, the, the price is higher. And so uh, the modern, um, as, as there is um, modern threats and modern uh, hybrid warfare activities ongoing, which also many of, many of which are not so visible, but uh, uh, we, we start to understand that you need to be ready for a- any type of disasters, any type of activities, mm-hmm. which many of them, which you cannot predict in peacetime, 
uh, usually this risk appetite is very focused on some particular disasters. For instance, in Latvia, we have uh, 35 defined disasters and catastrophes which we are starting, ready to prepare. But uh, we see that there is a lot of other actions, uh, starting from the solar weather, ending with uh, some, some uh, gray zone uh, warfare activities. That's why we need to be prepared to any type of crisis. And of course, each organization uh, and each nation look at it from their perspective. For instance, NATO, uh, they're focusing on so-called seven baseline requirements on resilience. It's mainly activities necessary to support incoming force, host nation support for incoming force uh, coming to, 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 to member states. It's starting the continuity of government. Uh, the resilient uh, communications, resilient energy supply, etc., etc. European Union is looking much more from the economic perspective. So, uh, it's security of supply, it's foreign direct investment screening. It's also activities related to this critical raw materials and different, uh, different um, uh, resilient uh, projects, uh, as it will be mentioned in the strategic compass. But of course, it's all, all what we witnessed starting with the 5G. Uh, toolbox problematic ending with different regulations and directives with the title, for instance, resilience of critical activities. So resilience wording is also uh, used in the titling of the documents, uh, many, many of them. Of course, it's OECD and many other organizations, they also mention the resilience, but from different angles, like enablers of economic growth. Uh, but of course, as a, um, when you're talking about the member states, uh, NATO, European Union, other nations, so of course they also looking at resilience. But uh, main, 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 main issue is uh, uh, after uh, when we, we when when this um, COVID pandemics will end, uh, hopefully, uh, that many nations will start to review their security systems, and of course um, all these findings and lessons learned from the COVID and and and, 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 and many disasters ongoing in parallel, like we see in Germany in in, in the Central Europe with floods and, and other natural disasters. You, you, you need to change your system, uh, how you uh, address all this crisis, but it starts with this. You need to uh, start to change the risk assessment, change a methodology of risk assessment, expand it to all hazard approach or whole threat approach. You need also to involve private sector in this risk assessment uh, because uh, state state government institutions not always are able to, to understand all these risks. Uh, and problematics. And of course, the, the main problem which will uh, arise, it will be the investment because one, if you have this uh, planning capabilities, you have joint plans, you have some kind of exercise, but uh, resilience, it's about investing, investing in people. You need to train the personal, investing in uh, some kind of um, infrastructure to make it much more resilient against different uh, activities. Invest in this, uh, cyber resilience, cyber hygiene. Uh, so it's, it all will cost. And of course, it, it could be one of the main um, problems because when we're talking about the private sector, uh, there is the modern concept of just-in-time uh, business model. So majority of entrepreneurs, they're fully dependent on logistics So because it's much more profitable. Mm -hmm. uh, but the recent um, uh, problems with the security of supply show that 
we uh, we are facing new problems, and it's it's a new normal. So it's it's it was not some kind of because of the beginning of COVID because of some events or because of Suez Channel. It's a new normal. The security of supply is always will be um, interrupted. So you need to change your business model. Uh, what does it mean? So the, the entrepreneurs also need to store much more goods in the warehouses. They need warehouses because many of them don't have. You need to review the secure secure your uh, supply chain. Who is your tier one, tier two, tier three uh, suppliers? And of course, it's 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 it, it will cost them. And, uh, and the, the governments or institutions need to find some compensation. How how to compensate all these investments? Uh, because to, to introduce so-called just-in-case business model, it's, it's a new concept, just-in-case community, just-in-case business model, but it's fully dependent also on you need to store something, you need to extra resources, which is not profitable. Uh, you spoke a lot about uh, about uh, NATO's seven baseline requirements uh, and other strategic documents that are being prepared in in uh, at the EU level and also in uh, in at the country level, uh, and also you spoke about the need to change uh, risk assessment methods. Um, can we translate it in the language of for everyday citizen? Um, I mean, when we uh, when those documents will be uh, defined, worked out, and hopefully implemented, uh, what changes everyday citizen, everyday inhabitant will feel after we uh, will have in the NATO and EU countries uh, this concept of resilience being implemented? What, what will change how everyday citizen will feel it? Yeah. I think your question is uh, overtaken by events because uh, many nations had this d- different um, uh, risk management system. Uh, many had these risk registers, etc. But uh, what COVID crisis showed, especially as a pandemic with a long-lasting pandemic, is that you need to change behavior of ordinary people because every one of us now is risk manager because you need to assess risks. How, how, I, how I will go, for instance, for this interview? We all use public transport. We all use uh, some, some my car or in different ways. So risk assessment on ordinary level because every, everyone now is um, under, under the, the risks and, and state cannot support you with some kind of general, gui- uh, general guidelines or heat map. So everyone is now a risk manager. You need to uh, evaluate your risks. You need to understand, is, is it good for you? Are you ready to take this risk? Are you ready to, to risk? And of course, it's also going to private sector because we see that entrepreneurs were fully, invo- are fully involved in the COVID because they are um, uh, or- organizing their work, they are organizing uh, the, the facilities to, to implement all this uh, epidemic, epidemiological um, uh, requirements. So we see this this focus of, of of changing how how we cooperate with private sector. So the private sector is part of national security, national resilience system, and uh, yeah. So but but to answer your question in general, uh, definitely we will see changing many changes. Uh, we will see that there are a lot of directives on regulation from European Union side that also NATO is facilitating to involve. Uh, private sector is social to, to enhance the societal resilience, like it was stated in the recent summit. Uh, but I don't think that this uh, concept will will um, be the same for a few years because it will be rebranded or new, new issues will come. But anyway, so so we need that we need change this uh, the system and the main challenge challenge is that you need to involve the private sector. 
It's, 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 it's a full game changers. I mean, not, not to involve the, in executing, uh, for instance, this epidemiological requirements, but also in the risk assessment, in planning, in joint training. So, so to put it in other words, so crisis management is a shared responsibility beginning from government, uh, continuing with uh, non-governmental organizations, commercial organizations, uh, security organizations, uh, and each and every individual at the individual level. Did I got right your idea? Yeah, so in general, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if we take uh, uh, it as an ideal model, uh, if we imagine like really uh, maximum resilience society, um, uh, how would you estimate uh, Latvian society? Uh, what resilience grade would you give to Latvian society, let's say, in a scale from 1 to 10? It's a very, very tricky question. Uh, <laughs> but I think um, what we have witnessed is the beginning of crisis, of COVID crisis, that uh, maybe we, we were not very good, very ready because we have, we didn't have such reserves like other nations uh, with all these masks and respirators. Uh, but as, as I mentioned, the definition, so resilience, it's not only the uh, ability to prepare, but also ability to change and the ability to adjust out the situation. And uh, what I see is that we, we are learning fast. That there are a lot of uh, good ideas, good, good, good uh, uh, actions were taken. Uh, so yeah, I think we six or seven uh, because I think no no one is fully ready, and also these nations which we think the reference uh, reference group, like for for instance Finland, which had this the, the big uh, agency of all these uh, material reserves, like NESA. Even they were not ready for such a pandemic. So, uh, so that's why uh, a lot of good ideas, a lot of findings during the crisis. What we need not to lose them. So we need to to fix them and, and to improve our uh, system because it's it's main task to improve system because next crisis will be different. But you need to improve. Even if we are lucky, for instance, like after the first wave, we were lucky, but we need to improve something. We need to create reserves. Like one of the lessons learned, for instance, we need this. Uh, uh, Civil reserves, uh, I mean, in, in, in manpower, because uh, we don't have such like civil defense units or voluntary units or other voluntary groups. They uh, were involved on ad hoc basis. Uh, that's why army was usually involved, like National Guard, to support civil defense activity, to support um, logistics, to support uh, all this vaccination process. It's because we don't have other reserves like army. But in case if it's paramilitary activities going on, on the border, so we need the army to be deployed abroad. So that's, that's why we need these changes concepts. That we need also plan B for people, for civil sector to be able to, 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 to replace uh, National Guard in, in providing all this support. So it's, it's, it's a very broad concept. And, and, and one of the main issues is, of course, this um, standards, because we have this kind of uh, inter- international standardization or organization ISO standards on cybersecurity, on some business continuity, but there is no standards for uh, hybrid warfare. There is no standards for what to do with uh, climate change, with, with different activities. That's why we need to, to change all the system, how we train and prepare people. And it's the only, only way I see it is to be uh, ready for all type of hazards, so at least because majority of consequences of all uh, hazards or of all disasters, uh, about 70-80 persons 
the consequences will be the same. No electricity, no water, no supply. If you, you're ready to, um, to address them, then we will be much more survivable in the next crisis. So, so the total focus of change that you need to be ready to any type of crisis, and of course to to, to military one. But okay, I see. Yeah. So uh, we are not perfect, but we are learning fast and we are developing. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but let's say if one wants to assess the level of resilience in any country. What would be uh, like top three uh, aspects that you should look at uh, to assess if the society either it is resilient or not? Yeah, I think a good example are Nordic nations. Uh, even they have this uh, different success with with the COVID, but but the main focus is uh, focus on uh, essential services that should be provided during the crisis, so focus on these critical services. And of course, the involvement of private sector, involvement of NGOs, and especially I think this Finland is a very good example because they have this very strong um, NGO community. And each citizen spends, I think, 70 hours per month for voluntary work, so it's, it's uh, like space for us for a moment. So you, you need to involve whole society, so you need this and it to be structured, not on ad hoc basis, but to structure, because you need also legislation how to uh, support all these uh, um, spontaneous volunteers who are coming to support. You need also some guarantees for them in it, maybe if something uh, happens. Uh, and uh, the second, of course, you need this focus on essential services that with the perception that if they will be operating, that also private sector will survive. So if there will be electricity, energy, uh, communications, banking sectors, that majority of small, medium entrepreneurs, they will be able to operate following. So the focus on, the, on that one, that's why. Uh, and of course, yeah, this, uh, this command control, so how, how the government take decisions, what structures they have. So I think this, the main focus is to be able to, to, to understand your mistakes and change the system rapidly. So, uh, to be, to be flexible on, on the decision making. Uh, so, but I think that uh, nowadays, some, uh, if, if we compare the beginning of COVID and, and what's going now, we see that even the small percentage of, of all this, uh, of the statistics, nations are immediately introducing much, much more restrictive measures than during the when the COVID uh, pandemic was on the top. So, so the, also the member states and, and governments are becoming much more uh, agile, much more robust to, 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 to the crisis. Mm-hmm. And finally, taking into consideration your really uh, huge and rich experience in this field of uh, of resilience, uh, how would you say what? Overall, not only in Latvia, but generally, if we look at the Western countries, what are the main uh, obstacles uh, in the way to more resilient societies? What is your impression and your conclusion? Yeah. As I mentioned, that uh, resources is and will be one of the main obstacles because you, you need it, it, it's maybe not very sexy, but you need to invest in, in, in daily business, for instance. Uh, Invest in cyber hygiene. Invest in uh, your co- cognitive resilience to to start to to behave different. Uh, invest in some minimal security uh, or safety requirements. So not everyone have this uh, minimum uh, also this uh, financial uh, resources to be able to to survive during crisis. So it it impacts our everyday life. So resources will be one of the main uh, problems. Uh, the second problem, of course, is uh, it's. Um, 
who is responsible because uh, there is no one ministry who is responsible for all resilience issues. So there was also discussion at the NATO to organize, for instance, meetings of resilience ministers. But who is minister? Because uh, in different nations, it's different uh, agencies responsible. And in the end day, end of the day, it is the prime ministers who should participate because they are responsible for all for all sectors. So this sectoral uh, perception, who who is responsible for what? Uh, yes, and of course, this uh, involvement of private sector sometimes it's very formal, or, or, or maybe some agencies they do not understand uh, the full um, benefits of, of, of involvement private sector. Uh, of course, it's hard. It's 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 a lot of discussions, a lot of uh, you have to invest a lot of time. But at the end of the day, you bring them on the board, so you have also the expertise, and and it's, it's they will be much, much, much more um, uh, positive to decision taking by the government. As we see in the big, uh, at the moment, at the one moment, our government didn't involve the private sector, so it, it was some some uh, bad experience. But at the end of the day, so all the social partners in Geo they participated in the government meetings. It's they hard meetings, but at the end of the day, so decision is common. So that's why they're much more uh, easier for them to execute all those decisions. Okay, I see. So to conclude and to sum up what we talked, so resilience is very broad concept. It is still in the process of being developed, how it is defined. But at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, it requires certain practical steps like. Uh, uh, investment of resources, uh, clear management structure, and also involvement of uh, private sector, to mention some as some of the steps, but definitely this list is not exhaustive, of course. So let's hope that governments uh, and organizations hear us, and let's hope that really our society in our country and, and in Europe uh, and, uh, becomes really uh, resilient because as the pandemic shows, it is extremely important. Yes, and then what, what I didn't mention also, we're talking about this resilience of the essential services of our private sector, but of course is one of the main concerns is also resilience of people, so, so social resilience or cognitive resilience against yeah, disinformation. disinformation. Uh, so. and, and this is, I absolutely agree, especially in the pandemic, so this is like the fourth very important yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, and to change it, you need to invest, so you need to educate and people. Again, and again, it requires investment in education, media literacy, understanding. Fantastic. Thank you, Vitalis, for Thank a you. very informative talk, and I hope that really we made this uh, concept more understandable for our audiences. Thank you so much. Thank you.